Well, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, and um, we are continuing our study in the book of Acts this morning. And I've titled the message this morning, Broken Hearts, Bended Knees, and Broken Chains. Broken Hearts, Bended Knees, and Broken Chains. Change. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in our study. Uh, we had the uh, July the 4th holiday, and I preached a different message uh, uh, for that week. But if you remember over in Acts chapter 11, uh, Peter had a revelation. He, of course, Peter was the leader of the early apostles, and he had been preaching and sharing, but only with Jewish people. He felt the gospel that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and he was preaching Jesus to Jews only. And we won't go back all through that, but you'll remember in chapter 11 he had a vision about a big net being let down from heaven and all types of animals were in that net. And as uh, he saw that net, there were clean animals and unclean animals by the Old Testament dietary law. And the Lord said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, Oh, Lord, I, I can't do that. Those are unclean animals. And the Lord says, What I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And of course, even when he woke up, there was someone knocking at his door and it was from a Roman soldier, a centurion named Cornelius. And he was seeking God. And you know the story. Peter went and preached to Cornelius and all of his household. And that household was saved. And there was basically a Gentile Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon them just as it did upon the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. And uh, Peter, I don't think, even planned to give an invitation. He was just obeying the Lord. And the invit- God gave the invitation and the people responded in the middle of the sermon. And so Peter comes back and he lets the people in Jerusalem know, listen, God has poured out His Spirit upon the Gentiles and this message of the Gospel is not just for us, but it's for everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. Well, in Acts chapter 12... The Bible says that about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, the first thing I want us to do is look at King Herod. Now, if you're like me, when you read the New Testament, you'll find King Herod splattered all over the New Testament. And if you're not careful, you'll get confused. You'll say, boy, he must be a really old man. I read about him a long time ago uh, when Jesus was born. Well... We need to understand, just so you'll, you'll have a clear understanding of this, that in the New Testament, if you take the New Testament and you compare it with secular history, what we know about secular history from that period, you'll find out that Herod is kind of like Caesar. It's not a name of a person as much as it is a title. And there was a whole dynasty, the Herodian dynasty, and there were actually, from what we can tell, five separate kings that went by the name of Herod. The first one you'll remember was Herod the Great. He was the one who was ruling when John the Baptist was born and when Jesus was born. He's the one that the wise men came before. 
And they inquired where was the king to be born. And he died just after Jesus was born. Uh, History records that he died in 4 B.C. Well, his son then came along next, and his name was Herod Archelaus. And all we know about him, the Bible briefly mentions him in Matthew 2.22, but it doesn't really give any description. But what we know about him from Roman history is that he was deposed by Rome because he was excessively cruel. Now that says something, doesn't it? The Romans, the guys that crucified people up and down the highway, you know, when you disobeyed them, if they thought you were too cruel, then you must have really been cruel. And so Herod uh, Archelaus lost his title because Rome removed him. And then the third Herod we find is a man named Herod Antipas, And he ruled over Galilee when John the Baptist was preaching and when Jesus is preaching. Now, he's in the Bible. He's the one that beheaded John the Baptist. He was Herod the Great's grandson. You remember John the Baptist? He got mad at John the Baptist because John the Baptist preached against his sin. He was living in adultery, in sin. And John the Baptist says, It's not lawful the way you are living. And that made Herod Antipas mad, but it really made his wife mad, his girlfriend mad, if you will. And uh, so they threw John in prison, and Herod was kind of afraid of John. He felt he was some type of prophet. He, he was very, suspe- very, very, uh, very superstitious, and he was, he was scared to touch John. But, you know, his wife hadn't forgot that insult that he gave to the omen. So you know the story. Uh, her daughter danced for, and that's, you can see the messed up situation they were in. Her daughter dances for her husband, and he really likes it, you know, and so he tells her he'll give her anything that she wants up to half the kingdom, and, you know, like any good daughter, she goes back to mom and says, Mom, what should I ask? Well, she's already got a request. She said, the head of John the Baptist. And, of course, she went back and said, I want the head of John the Baptist, and Herod, you know, he didn't like it because he was scared. He, He feared John. He knew John was a special man, but... He had made a promise, so that's Herod Antipas. He went and beheaded John in prison. And that's the same Herod. Remember when Jesus was on trial? He went before Herod, and Herod asked him questions. And remember, it's very interesting to me, Jesus never uttered a word. Herod said, do a miracle. You know, they say you're a great prophet. Who are you? And Jesus never said a word. He answered Pilate, interestingly. Remember, Jesus did answer Pilate, but he never answered Herod Antipas. And that is the third Herod in Scripture. The fourth Herod is the one we're introduced here in Acts chapter 12. His name was Herod Agrippa I. He's the one that condemned the apostle James to death and here also imprisons Peter. And there's one more Herod in Scripture. That's the fifth and the final Herod. That's Herod Agrippa II. And we'll be introduced to him over in Acts chapter 26. Remember, that is the one that Paul was was giving his testimony before. There was a King Festus and there was a King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II. And they kind of were were bouncing uh, Paul back and two between the two about who had jurisdiction over him. He was kind of like a hot potato. Nobody really wanted to bother with him and make a decision. And remember... Herod Agrippa II made that famous statement as Paul was was preaching and explaining his faith and why he was doing what he was doing. Herod Agrippa says, Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Now, you know, we have that song, Almost Persuaded, but most Bible scholars believe that Herod was not actually saying, Boy, 
I'm under conviction. You've just about convinced me to be a Christian. He was basically mocking Paul and saying, you know, the way you're speaking, you're trying to convert me. Herod Agrippa II, the great Herod. So don't get confused when you read. So you think, well, I really am confused now, Brother William. You gave me all those names. But I just want you to understand it's not the same Herod. Every time you read King Herod in the New Testament, it is often a different King Herod. So notice what he does. King Herod Agrippa I is the one we're looking at here in chapter 12. It says he reached out his hand and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now... James is another name that we can get confused with. There are several Jameses in the New Testament. This, there were two apostles, remember, named James. There was James, the brother of John. They were the two sons of Zebedee. Remember in in Scripture, they were the two fishermen. And Jesus called them. They were fishing by the seashore with their father Zebedee. And He said, come follow me. And James uh, was the older brother. And his younger brother was John. Remember John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John. And James, Peter, James, and John, remember in Scripture, when I preach on the Garden of Gethsemane, I make mention that there were a special three, the inner circle we call them. And you look both when Jesus went to pray in the Garden, the other apostles stayed back a long way away, and He brought Peter, James, and John, and they went with Him closer. And and they were his inner circle. On the Mount of Transfiguration, who was it that went up on the Mount? Peter, James, and John. When he raised the young girl from the dead, he made everybody else stay outside. And he brought three of the apostles inside the home with him where the body of the young girl was. And who was it? It was Peter, James, and John. So James was part of Jesus' inner circle, if you will. And he was the brother of John. He was a very important apostle. And here we find... And it's almost amazing that that the book of Acts doesn't give us any detail. We don't have a whole chapter about how it happened and what James said. We go back to the the first martyr of the church. Remember uh, the deacon, Stephen, that great man of God full of the Holy Spirit. We have a whole couple of chapters where Stephen makes his defense and he gives his testimony and and the people get upset and they run upon Stephen and they stone him. and, And we have a picture of his death and... And he's being stoned and he cries out to God and he says, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Forgive them, just as Jesus, his master did. And the Bible says that he gave up the ghost. God took him. He was martyred by those uh, who were stoning him. But yet here with James, who is the first apostle, remember Stephen was a deacon. He was one who came to faith faith in Christ, but here James is one of the twelve apostles. And he's the first of the twelve apostles to die for the faith. And all the Bible says is that he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. End of statement. Now, there's some old traditions that go back thousands of years that say that, that James, while he was imprisoned, that he was witnessing to a Roman guard and... And uh, he was so full of peace and, and had such a calmness about him as he was led to be, have his head taken off from his body that one of the Roman guards that he'd been witnessing to came to faith in Christ and actually knelt down and was martyred as well. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. That's a tradition that's been handed down, but it could have been certainly. We know that James was faithful until the end. He was the first apostle to die. And so you see, the the early church was already grieving over Stephen, one of their leaders who had been killed. 
There was a great persecution against the church. And now James, Peter, James, and John, three of the leading apostles, James is dead. He's been killed by Herod. And Peter is in prison. And the Bible says that Herod had saw how the Jewish leaders were really pleased that he had killed James. They said, that's, that's great. You're doing a good job, Herod. You keep that up. That's what we like. And so he arrested Peter. He said, boy, if that made him happy, I'll get the ringleader, Peter. But he didn't kill Peter immediately. And there was a reason because it was the Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread that came right after the Passover. It was like a holiday. And it wasn't appropriate to have an execution during that holiday. So he says, I'll just, I'll just put him on ice, if you will. I'll put him in prison. I'll put 16 soldiers guarding him, four squads, so four men each. I'll put 16 soldiers guarding him. He's not going anywhere. I, when all this is over, when the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is over, I'll bring him out and we'll take care of Peter. So the church has a broken heart. You know, I think about John. John was a young man. Remember, he was the youngest. And, and now his brother James has been murdered by Herod. I think about Peter, how often he, James, and John had been together, how they had, you know, they had all three failed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They'd went to pray, they'd prayed for a little while, but they had gotten, you know, they had gotten weary and they'd fallen asleep. And how Peter must have been heartbroken. The church must have been heartbroken that, that James was dead. That James had been killed by Herod. He had been struck down with the sword. And so their hearts are broken. And now all of a sudden Peter's in prison. And they know that as soon as Passover is, is ended, that Peter's next. Herod's just waiting for the holiday to get over. The special time of feasting and worship and fasting and all the things that went on. And as soon as it's over... They're going, he's going to bring Peter out and he's going to kill Peter. And so they're broken hearted. And what do they do? The Bible says in verse number 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but constant or earnest prayer was offered to God for him by the church. If you've got a broken heart and you've got bonds upon you as Peter had, you need some bended knees on your behalf. And that is what the church did. The church, they got together and the Bible says they offered constant or earnest prayer for Peter by the church. And, and there's really an example of how to pray right there very quickly. You can make yourself an outline. First of all, there's... The aim of prayer, that is who we, we aim our prayer at. Who did they offer prayer to? They offered prayer to God. Now it's important to petition man, but they weren't up there before Herod, you know, writing a petition to Herod. They were petitioning God. I don't know what you're facing today, but I will tell you who holds the answer, and that is the Creator of heaven and earth. The one who created you, the one who breathed life into your body, the one who put your spirit within your body, the one who gives you and I the purpose for our life. I was thinking about it just this morning, actually, as I was sitting right there. Thinking how, you know, I don't think it's a sin, but it's just something I enjoy doing. 
I've, I've shared this before. You know, I like science fiction. That's not a sin, is it? I'm asking, I'll have all you theologians gathered. I'm asking you a question here. I don't think so. Now, some science fiction can get really way off. But you know something I've noticed about a lot of science fiction stories? They all kind of have a deal where, you know, the guy's finding out where man came from. You know, and somehow he finds out what it's all about and why. There is this search, there's this hunger inside of every human being. Why am I here? What is the purpose of life? Why do we exist? Why are we here? I hope I don't lose my voice again like I did last Sunday. But, but, but why are we here? What is, what is the purpose of life? And, and no matter what race or what language or your intelligence level or anything else, that hunger is within every human being. Why am I here? And so many times in life we make bad decisions. We go off in search of purpose. We go off in search of fulfillment. And, and we, we, we search and we experiment with all kinds of things trying to find that fulfillment. And my friend, whatever we face... The aim of our prayer, of our petition, must be to the one who holds the answer to that question. Why am I here? Why am I here? And that one is God. And their aim of their prayer, they prayed to God. And notice the attitude of their prayer. They gave earnest or constant prayer to God. Now I know emotion, our emotions are the shallowest part of our being and we should never make decisions based on our emotion or we will find ourselves shipwrecked. But emotion is part of our being. And when you get involved in something, your emotions are going to follow. And my friend, the Bible says, I'm sure that in that prayer meeting there were tears because the Bible says they were in earnest prayer. They were in constant prayer. It was a burden. Remember, they had a broken heart. Their heart was broken. Stephen, their great deacon, was dead. James, the great apostle, one of the three inner circle that Jesus took with him, he was dead, gone, so soon. And Peter, the great leader of the early church, he's in prison just waiting to be executed. No doubt they're there saying, my goodness, it's fallen apart. Has God deserted us? Has He abandoned us? He said we were going to be witnesses across all of the world, but we're losing our leaders. And what did they do? They fell on their knees and they began to pray with an earnest prayer. An earnest prayer. Not I, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's a good prayer, but so often it's said, as I just said it, simply by memory. That wasn't the kind of prayer they prayed. They prayed a heartfelt, earnest, broken-hearted prayer. God help Peter. God have mercy upon us. Deliver Peter. And that was the source of the prayer. The source of the prayer was the church. Listen, if you're the church, if you're a Christian, maybe there's someone in your family that's not a Christian. There's someone that's not following God and you're a Christian. If you don't pray, who will? You're the source of prayer. You're the church. You're the family of God. You're the one that's been born into God's family. And it's up to you and it is up to I to pray when there is a need. A bended knee. Broken hearts and bended knees. They were crying out to God. And then the object of their prayer was, of course, their beloved 
Peter, their leader, the Apostle Peter. You know, I've often said that Joel Graham's not here. You know, he's my modern-day Peter. I, I, I think about Peter, and I think about a guy like Joel. You know, kind of, a, kind of a rough and tough guy. You know, I don't plan on getting in any bar fights, but if I did, I'd kind of want Joel right behind me. You know, he's the kind of guy I'd want on my side in a bad situation. And that's how Peter was. Remember, he drew his sword and he, and he cut off the high priest's ear. I mean, Peter was a man of action. And here this man of action is bound by chains, guarded by 16 soldiers, waiting on his execution. Just as soon as the Passover had ended, he's going to die. And the church is upset. No doubt Peter had given them inspiration by his life. And, and what are they doing? They're praying for him. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. When you don't know anything else to do, pray. And then when you finish praying... Pray. And then when you've run out of things to pray, pray. 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 Broken hearts, bended knees. There is great power in prayer. There's more power in prayer. A heartfelt prayer from the depth of your heart laid out to God than there is in all the sermons that have ever been preached. More than any miracle that has ever occurred is the power of prayer. Remember when Jesus, His disciples came to Him and said, Lord, you know, we tried to cast this out, but we couldn't. Remember what Jesus said? This kind comes forth, but by prayer and fasting. And, and there's nothing sacred about not we could all do without food for, for a lot of us for weeks at the time i heard my uncle say one time that he'd be dead six months before he ever saw 200 pounds again you have to think about that one a little bit some of us maybe feel like that there's nothing sacred about going without food but what fasting represents the reason jesus said prayer and fasting remember they were giving earnest prayer you know, sometimes we have to be willing to sacrifice a little something. You know, when you want to give, let's say you got a sweetheart and you're asking her to marry you or you got your wife, it's your anniversary. You know, why don't you, uh, you know, the kind of gift that you want to give her or him, give him. Let's be, you know, equal opportunity givers here, either side. It doesn't necessarily have to cost a lot, but you know what makes it special? If it's something that you had to really work on. Maybe sacrifice a little bit. You know, you didn't just run down to the dollar store and pick it up, you know. I mean, you thought about it. You put some time into it. You put some effort into it. And, and in a way, that person gets the idea, well, you know, this person really cares. that They put some effort into this. And my friend, when we pray... Prayer and fasting, that idea of earnest prayer. Sometimes we think about prayers just, you know, Lord, please help everybody. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know that that's worth saying. 
be honest with you. What in the world does that mean? Please help everybody. What kind of prayer is that? i tell you what kind of prayer it is. It's a conscious killer, conscience killer prayer. You feel obligated to pray, and you don't want to worry with spending, you know, 10 minutes calling out names. So, Lord, just help everybody. Because that takes about five seconds, and I can go on about my business and do the things that are important to me, and, and, and I'll feel better about my conscience. I prayed. I prayed for everybody. No, real prayer is you have a broken heart, you have a felt need that, that is in your life or in someone's life you love, and you go to God who you know has the answer, although you don't know what the answer is, but you know and have faith that He has the answer, and with a full, earnest com- prayer that, that goes on and doesn't stop, even if things get worse, you pray and you pray and you pray. And my friend, that is why prayer is so powerful. It is a connection between you and God. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. And prayer is a weapon in that spiritual battle. Prayer is one of our most powerful weapons. And the church had no army. The church had no lawyer to go argue the case. The church had no friend in high places to call upon a favor. All the church had was prayer. Their man was in prison. One of their great leaders had already died, been killed. And what they did, they took the weapon they had and they put it to good use. They earnestly prayed. Well, now broken chains. Look there in verse 6. It says, And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, notice it's the night before he's to be brought out to be executed. No doubt the church had said, you know, God's, I guess he's going to be, God's not going to hear our prayer. Surely he would have delivered by now. You know, God has his own timing. God has his own timing and sometimes we pray and we think nothing's ever going to change. Here they had prayed and prayed and prayed and it was the night before. And nothing had happened yet. But you know where they're at? We find out a little bit later they're having an all-night prayer meeting. They're praying. They haven't given up. They are still praying without giving up. And you know something else I noticed? That Peter is asleep. Peter's sleeping. What if you knew that you were going to be executed sunrise in the morning? Would you sleep tonight? Probably not many of us would. If you knew when the sun woke, come over the horizon in the morning, 7 a.m. in the morning, you're going to be executed. Your life is going to end. Most of us would want to say, you know, I'm not going to waste my last night on earth sleeping. I want to stay awake. Maybe I'll think of a way to escape. Maybe the guards will all have a heart attack. I mean, you know, maybe something will happen. But what was Peter doing? Notice the peace of God that Peter had. He was content. As Paul said in one of his letters, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. Peter had made up his mind. He was content. Peter... The night before his execution, he's asleep. He's got guards on either side of him. His hands are bound, but he's asleep. Two chains between two soldiers. A seemingly impossible situation, bound and captive by the enemy. But we remember that with God, nothing is impossible. 
No heart is too hard. Nothing is too far gone. All things are possible with God. And so Peter was asleep. The church was praying. The guards were doing their job. And the Bible says, verse 7, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. I love that phrase. An angel of the Lord stood by him. This is close to the 70s. You know, I said I'm stuck in the 70s. Remember the old song, Stand By Me? You know, Stand By Me? I won't sing it. Don't worry. <laughs> Stand By Me. You know, isn't it comforting when you're having difficulty to have someone beside you, with you, close by, just there? They don't have to say anything. They're just there. And here, Peter is asleep, and the Bible says an angel of the Lord stood by him. And I remember that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, not in a dungeon, not in a prison, not the night before you're to be executed, never. And the Bible says, and a light shone in the prison. And I'm reminded that verse that says the light shines in darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And then the Bible says that the light, the light shone in the prison and the angel struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. Now notice, Peter is asleep. It's the night before his exit. It's a wonder how he could sleep. It had to be the peace of God. But he's asleep. And the angel comes and the Bible says, struck him on the side, woke him up. It's usually unpleasant to be awakened out of a sleep, isn't it? Especially if somebody comes and, you know, you know. It says he struck him on the side. I don't know how hard of a strike that was, but the angel's obviously in a hurry because the angel says, get up quickly, let's move. And so I don't think the angel tapped him on the shoulder and said, Peter, Peter, wake up. I think the angel struck him, hit him hard and said, wake up. And that must have been at the moment it happened unpleasant for Peter. You know, before God does something great in our life, He often has to awaken us. And sometimes that can be unpleasant. It can be unpleasant to be awoken from asleep as Peter was by this angel, but the angel was preparing Peter for an escape, for a deliverance. And Peter's asleep and the angel strikes him on the side and he says, wake up. And I notice also that, that the angel lets Peter do what he can do and then the angel does what Peter cannot do. Notice he says, Peter, wake up. Well, Peter had to wake himself up. And he says, get up quickly. Gird yourself and put on your shoes. And then put on your coat and follow me. And as Peter is awakening... As he begins to move, the chains which Peter could not undo, they, are, they fall off. So now he begins to put his shoes on. He puts his coat on. He wakes up. He gets up. So you see, there's a partnership. And my friend, if, if you're in a situation, you are, you are bound, as Peter was, and there's prayer going up for you, and God is going to, to do a work in your life, He often will give you steps to take. As He did Peter. He didn't just pick Peter up. And say, hang on boy, I'm taking you out. He said, wake up, put your shoes on, put your coat on, and follow me. 
there was something for Peter to do. Now, Peter could not break the chains, but God broke the chains. And what Peter did, he did what he could do, and God did the rest. Notice there verse 9, So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. The first automatic door in history. You know, everywhere you go, there's an automatic door. Got those little laser lights and they see you coming, it opens. Here's the first one ever. You know, see, God, God, He knows what all this technology is. He had it before we ever came up with it. We discovered it. That's why it says we discovered it, because it already existed. We just figured out how to make it work. And here it is. They, they get up to the gate. They go by the guards. They don't see them. Peter thinks he's having a dream. He thinks he's kind of in a vision. He doesn't really understand what's going on. They get to this big iron gate, and it just automatically opens. They walk through, and the Bible says that it opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. You know why a miracle is called a miracle? Because it's out of the ordinary. Well, we, we want God to do miracles every day. I mean, every time something goes wrong, we want God to, to, to do a miracle, to change the laws of nature so it doesn't apply to us. But God doesn't do that. In rare cases, God performs a miracle, and it's called a miracle because it is unusual. It doesn't normally happen. James was killed. Why didn't God deliver James? I, I don't know. God is sovereign. I don't know the answer, but he did not. But we know that James accepted his fate. He went to his martyrdom with peace in his heart. And Peter was prepared to do the same. Here he was asleep the night before his execution. But God had a different plan. The church was praying. The angel came. The angel told Peter to do what he could do. And what Peter could not do, the angel did for him. And now that he is outside of the prison and he's on a street that Peter is familiar with, he looks around and the angel is gone. Peter can do the rest. Peter knows what to do. The Bible says that when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent His angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. You remember John Mark? We're going to find out a lot about John Mark. Remember, he's the one that went with Barnabas and Saul. And we'll read this later as we go. And he, John Mark was a close friend of Peter. As a matter of fact, he's the author of the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And sometimes people call the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Peter. Because Mark was, John Mark was such a close friend of Peter that as Mark writes the Gospel, it's basically Peter's recollection. It's Peter's Gospel. And Mark, remember, you know, Peter wasn't a scholar. Okay, I've often said Peter was the blue-collar apostle. And Paul was the white-collar apostle. Paul's the one with the Ph.D. And Peter had a Ph.D., but it was what we used to call post-hole digger. You know, I mean, he didn't have any great education like Paul did. He was just a common fisherman, remember? Just a common fisherman. 
He was a common fisherman, but he loved God. And the Bible says that he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now what time of the day is it? It's not day at all. It's night. Remember, everybody was asleep. So it's probably around midnight or after. Hey, the prayer meeting lasted all night there. Remember, they were in a state of fervent prayer. They weren't looking at the watch and saying, hey, it's 8.30, it's time to go. I mean, they were praying. They were praying about Peter. They were still there praying. It was an all-night prayer meeting. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. Now this James, remember there's several James. This James is James, the brother of Jesus, who is the author of the book of James. But this is a different James. He said, Go tell James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. You know something else I love about that? God answered their prayer, but it wasn't because of their great faith. They were praying for Peter's deliverance. Peter knocks on the door. By the way, that's interesting to me. The iron gate opened automatically for Peter because he couldn't open it when he escaped from prison. But he gets to the home. The door doesn't open. He has to knock. And he knocks. And then he has to yell. Finally, someone comes to the door and he says, Hey, it's me. And she just basically screams or, or you know, makes an exclamation. She she's just so excited she doesn't open the door. She runs back and says, It's Peter. And these great men and women of faith, the church, they said, Silly girl. Silly girl, you're beside yourself. You're too excited. She said, No, I'm telling you, it is really Peter. And then one of the, probably one of the great spiritual leaders of the church said, it must be his angel. Maybe he's killed him already. And on his way to heaven, he just stopped by to say hi to us before he goes on to heaven. You know, he's already dead. It's his angel. You know, they weren't expecting Peter to walk in. And my friend, you don't have to be some great person of faith. You've often heard me say this, that Courage is not the absence of fear. And faith is not the absence of doubt. Both of them simply mean that you kept doing what you knew was right in spite of the fear you had or in spite of the doubt that, that, that began to tear against your ship and you thought it would take your ship down, but you kept doing and you kept praying and that's what these people were doing. They had no idea Peter was going to bust in and break up the prayer meeting, but they were praying. And they were seeking God. And God did a miracle. And He brought Peter and He delivered Peter. Broken chains. Broken chains. You're here with a broken heart? Let me implore you to take a bended knee. Take your burden to the Lord. And leave it there. And let Jesus break the chains. I believe He is a chain breaker. I believe He is a deliverer. 
And whatever brokenness I have, I want to take it to God and I want to be faithful as these men and women were in the early church having that all-night prayer meeting. I don't want to grow weary in well-doing, knowing in due season we will faint if we, if we, we will reap if we faint not. Keep praying. Keep pushing. Keep obeying. Trust in the breaker of the chains. Father, we come to You in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank You for Your Word which inspires and encourages us. And God, I pray for all of us. Many of us here have broken hearts. But God, I pray that we will take that brokenness to You with bended knee and we will earnestly and consistently pray and lift up our needs and our requests to You, the author of life and the author of all good things, And God, we pray for those like Peter who may be bound. God, I pray that you would release them from their bondage, that you would pour out your grace and your miracle-working power on those that need it. God, we give the rest of this service to you. If there's one that needs to come today and make a profession of faith or make a decision for you, we pray that they will obey the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, if you're here this morning... Maybe God has spoken to your heart. You're welcome to come pray. I'll be glad to pray with you as we stand and sing.